may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your grace, and uh, we thank you for your freedom, and uh, we thank you that you have uh, welcomed us into this thing called family, family of God. We are uh, grateful for all that means and all that looks like. It is in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A couple uh, years ago now, the New York Times uh, interviewed several uh, inmates and asked them to describe their first experiences of freedom after they were released from prison. These were uh, men that had been wrongly convicted, had spent a substantial amount of time in prison. And it's just like, tell us about when you walked out What were the first things you did? What were your first experiences? And I was really blown away by the article. And as I kind of read some of these responses to you, I want you to think about kind of how you would react in that moment. The first time you have freedom, the first time you are released, what would be some of your experiences? And I want you to notice the simplicity of these moments that are are described. Uh, Jeffrey, age 41, he spent 16 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit. He was uh, freed on September 20th, 2006, and here's what he writes. At times, I wasn't even quite sure whether or not I was really out and free. I felt like a finger was tapping me on the back saying, what are you doing out here? They belong out here, you don't. They don't really realize that you don't, but you don't belong here. So I just did something that I wanted to do for a really long time. I wanted to sit outside in the nighttime and not have to go inside. And so that's exactly what I did. I sat outside at night, and I didn't come in for hours and hours and hours. Fernando, age 46, spent 18 years in prison. He was freed November 20th, 2009, and he said, the first thing I did, I went running in a park. I had all these childhood memories of wanting to be a geologist. I used to pick up rocks and collect insects before I became less of a nerd and more of a person in trouble. I'm coming off my run, and I'm, going, and I'm doing something that I had sorely missed. I'm looking at a tree, and I'm just admiring it. I've never been deprived of nature for so long as I was when I was in prison. And I finally walked over, and I felt the bark of that tree, and I was crying as I started to hug it. Derek Hamilton, age 49, spent 21 years in prison. He was forward, uh, freed December 7th, and he said, the day I walked out, My wife, my nephew, and my son were in the car waiting for me. There was a church right around the corner, and I would always listen to the bells ringing when I was in jail. I didn't even know where the church really was, but I would pray when I heard those bells, and it was my only opportunity to pray at the same time as the people on the outside. When I got out, one of the first things I wanted to do was walk around the corner, go to that church, and pray. I went into that church, and I thank God for my release. And going into that church, it was like I was born again. I was really blown away, like I said, by the simplicity of the responses, right? You would think, what, what are you going to do the first time you are free? You would think there'd be an extravagant trip or an extravagant meal. And instead, it's like, I wanted to walk through a park and enjoy nature. I wanted to spend some time with my loved ones in a church, and I wanted to pray. I I wanted to do these simple things. And we love stories like that because there is a longing inside of us for freedom. I believe that God placed that inside of us. I believe he placed inside of us a longing and a desire to be free. But I also think that there comes a certain love of this just from living in this country. 
That, that kind of core to being an American is this longing for freedom. So, but like all things that we've talked about in this series, understood outside of Jesus, it gets changed and warped and misunderstood. It becomes a shadow of the real thing, the freedom that is found in Christ. And I think one of the ways that our culture really misunderstands the idea of freedom is we typically think of freedom as freedom from something. If you're a kid in this room, you might be thinking about someday the freedom from the rules of your parents. That someday I am going to go to college and I'm going to eat ice cream for breakfast. I'm going to eat sugar all day long. I'm going to be broken free from the shackles of my parents. Freedom from the rules of an organization. It's like, oh, someday I'm going to have a new and a different job. And my boss and his rules and his regulation, I'm just going to walk away from them. Or freedom from the rules of your school. That, man, someday I'm going to go to college or be in a different school. And there's going to be new and better rules. Freedom from the constraints of mom and dad or organization or boss or school or whatever, whatever it happens to be. We want freedom. But I think it's harder to achieve than we believe. We think that rejecting constraint is the key to freedom, but it would seem to me that the opposite of constraint is not freedom. The opposite of constraint is chaos. Right, you catch that? The opposite of constraint is not freedom. The opposite of constraint is chaos. So maybe this is actually a negative type of freedom that our culture and our peers believe in. Maybe it's even a lie. Maybe instead of a freedom from something, we are designed and made by God for a freedom for something better. It's not a life that is free of constraint. That is chaos. It's a life with the right constraints from the right God for the right purpose leading us to life. I want you to consider going all the way back to the garden. All the way back to the garden of the book of Genesis, he made man and eventually woman, uh, and he placed them in this garden of perfection. And it was not a place of just unbridled freedom, live however you want to live. It was a place of godly constraint that led to life. Look at this. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. Jesus, as you know, did not come to give us a constraint-free life. He came to give us the constraints that matter, and in the process, lead us to life. It's not freedom from constraint. It's a freedom for life to live the life that he wants us to live. Here's how N.T. Wright said it. Widespread human experience suggests that freedom often emerges through a pathway that seems anything but free. The freedom to improvise musically or to compose music of, of your own will only come when the disciplines of learning the scales and the technique for the instrument have been mastered. People sometimes imagine that when a musician improvises, as in jazz or other forms, they're just making up anything, playing the first thing that comes into their heads. They couldn't be more wrong. Jazz depends just as much as as classical music, music does on the musicians knowing exactly what's going on, listening intently to one another, and making sure that even the most apparently daring riffs 
and outlandish extra passages come in to land at the right moment in the right key. We were created for constraint. We're actually all being constrained by something or someone. Sometimes we think that, man, I'm going to break free from constraint, but you break free from your parental constraint, and all of a sudden you find out that you have a boss at work, or you break free from the college restraint. You go to another college, and you find out that college, too, has rules, right? We're all constrained by something or someone. The constraint-free life is not the Jesus life, but in Jesus, we find the constraints that we need, the freedom that we need to live the life that he desires for us, and that's really what freedom is all about. Freedom is being freed by Jesus to enter into the life that he has in store for us. Here's how our text says it in John. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. That does not sound like a constraint-free life. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves to anyone. How can you say we'll be set free? Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are Abraham's descendants, that you are looking for a way to kill me because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me. That's a very not Abraham thing to do. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God, Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children. The only father we have is God himself. And Jesus said to them, If God were your father... You would love me, for I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil. (laughs) Sermon's heating up, right? And you want to, I've never, ever preached something like this in my life, right? Your father, the devil, right? And you want to carry out your father's desires, He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me? Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is you do not belong to God. All right, he's preaching now. He's gone from preaching to meddling, right? Jesus, through his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he offers us freedom, freedom in him. But why? What is this freedom that he's leading us to? What is this life that he's leading to? And I think Jesus points out a couple of things. He says, Jesus sets us free, not from necessarily, but for belonging to God. He sets us free so that we can belong to God and be a part of his family. I love how Jesus describes the two spiritual relationships a person can have. He said you can be a slave to sin, the person that rejects Jesus, 
and just embraces sin, that person is not free, Jesus says. On the contrary, they are a slave to that sin. That sin puts plenty of constraints on the person that loves it and trusts in it and follows it. Maybe you've seen this before, the person that is addicted Right? They are not free, right? They are addicted, and you've seen that addiction ruin relationships or cause them to lose a job or get into legal trouble. That's not freedom, Jesus says. That's slavery. Jesus came through his death, burial, and resurrection to free us from the hold of sin so that we could move from slaves to, and this is the great truth, sons and daughters of God. That's the freedom he's offering you and me. He says, you don't have to be slaves to sin. You can be my sons and you can be my daughters. Now, my children up here in the second row, they will happily tell you that there are plenty of constraints placed on them in our home. We have rules on screen time. We have rules about how we talk to each other that are violated from now and then. Right? We have uh, rules on how we talk about one another. We have lots of rules. We have quite a few rules, and your family is the same way. Having to abide by constraint is not the difference between a slave and a son. Slaves have to abide by constraints too. You don't think that sin that you're a slave to is providing constraint? I promise you it is. The difference between a slave and a son is not having to abide by constraint. Everyone has to abide by constraint. It's just whose constraints are you going to abide by? Are you going to abide by the constraints of the person that is leading you to death, sin? Or are you going to abide by the constraints of the person who's leading you to life, Jesus? So that's not the difference. What is the difference? Well, Jesus tells us. The difference between a slave and a son or a daughter is that sons and daughters have a permanent place in the family. Slaves do not. We adopted our kids, and every year we celebrate their adoption day. Uh, We do Sam's in March, and Lila's, we just got back from a few weeks ago. Uh, We went to a holiday world where it was just blazing, ungodly hot, right? (laughs) Just unbelievably hot. Uh, And we went and we celebrated. One of Cheryl and I's favorite moments when it came to both of our kids' adoptions was that moment of standing before the judge And there comes a point when he declares the adoption as final, and he said, it is just as if they were born to you. And in that moment, what the judge is saying is this, you are from this day forward a forever family. Sons and daughters have a place. Now, don't hear that, a place, a permanent place in the family. Now, don't hear that as you can't ever reject Christ. Oh, you can reject Christ. You can reject him. He'll allow you to do that. But because of the work of Jesus on the cross, here's what I need you to understand. You are welcome here. You are welcome as a part of his family. Because of the work of Jesus on, on the cross, you are invited to him. You are welcome to him. You are able to come to him. That The invitation is free and open to every person of every gender and every ethnicity. You are invited to him. And one of the freedoms that Jesus did is he came so that we could enter into his family and call him our father and call one another our brothers and sisters and welcome ourselves in through the blood of Christ into a spiritual family with a spiritual father with a spiritual eternity. 
You're welcome. I, I know maybe you have felt rejected and you have felt outcasted and you have in, in different venues of your life, but in the kingdom of God, you are welcome and invited and urged to welcome Jesus' sacrifice for you and enter into his holy family. Sons and daughters have a permanent place in the family. An employee, a slave, does not. They can be fired, downsized, let go. Sons and daughters have a place. And it's not that sons and daughters never mess up. If you are a son or a daughter, raise your hand. If you've ever messed up, raise your hand, right? Sons and daughters mess up. It is that in the family of God, Jesus has ushered in his grace for his children. And he says, in my family, when you mess up, you receive grace upon grace and upon grace. And so the father stands at the head of the family and he says, when you enter into my family, I will forgive your sin. I will empower you to overcome it, but you will receive grace. So one of the things Jesus does is he gives us a freedom from slavery so we can enter into his family and receive grace. Here's the other difference. This text, we're going to go over to Romans 8 because it talks about it more. But sons and daughters receive an inheritance. A slave does not. An employee does not. I have this thing that I do pastorally. I've done this for years. That when someone from our church is going through a specifically hard time and they'll come in and they'll talk to me and they're like, what should I do? I'll say, here's what I want you to do. Every single day, I want you to read Romans 8. It is, you're not supposed to have favorites, right? Romans 8, Romans 8 is my favorite. It is a powerful, powerful text of encouragement. And every day I'll say, you just get up through this thing you're going through, this hardship, this difficulty. You get up and every day you walk to your Bible and you flip over to Romans 8 and you be encouraged by it. And so I want to read to you, it's going to talk about our inheritance I want to read to you a section of Romans 8. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to read more than I normally would read because it is so good, right? So here's what Paul says in Romans 8 on the screen for you. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Wrap your head around just that truth for a moment. You think about how God has treated the son. You are a co-heir. You are a co-heir with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we might also share in his glory. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay, that's talking about this world, and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. It's true for you because you've been adopted into his family. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right? Somebody say amen. Somebody said children, right? Yeah. Right up until the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes in something they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. 
In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray. Anyone ever felt that way before? But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You don't know what the will of God is? Cool. Just pray and let the Spirit pray for the will of God for you. And we know that in all things, not some things, not most things, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed in the image of his son that we might be the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he called. Those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he will glorify. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. What shall separate us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? No. Hardship? No. Persecution? No. Famine? Nakedness? Danger? Sword? No. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels or demons, whether the present or the future, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, or anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you see why I prescribe that? He says, There is a glory that will be revealed someday for the children of God, our inheritance. And we talk about this all the time, but it is so encouraging to me, and I hope it's encouraging to you as well, that someday Jesus will return in all his glory, not as a baby, but as a warrior. And Revelation says he will come with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth, and death and mourning and pain will be no more, and we will enter into this new Jerusalem, this new city that Jesus has been preparing. And I believe that in this city of perfection, you will enjoy a purpose. You will enjoy perfect relationships. We will worship like we have never worshipped before because Jesus will be on the throne. And as sons and daughters who have been adopted into his family, be encouraged by this. What can separate you from this truth? Can death or mourning or crying or pain or hardship or difficulty? No, you are more than a conqueror through him who has overcome the world. But Paul says, in addition to all of that hope someday, we have this deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Because I don't know about you, but it's like, yeah, yeah, someday is fine, but I've got difficulty, not someday. It's going to be taken care of. I've got difficulty today. And Paul says, yes, I know. So hope in the future, but understand that God also tithes. And he has given you a tithe, a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. He's given you part of his first fruits called the Holy Spirit. 
And so he says, while you have a future hope someday, right now you have the Spirit. And Paul gives us all of these truths, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Did you come in here weak and frail and sad? The Spirit wants to invade your heart and your mind and help you in your weakness. The Spirit empowers us so that we can be more than conquerors. We are not conquered by anything. We are not destroyed by anything. We are overcomers. The Spirit helps us stay connected to the love of God. That sometimes when you're going through something, does he even love me? The Spirit whispers and sometimes shouts, yes, he does. The Spirit reminds us of his love. The Spirit helps conform us into the likeness of Jesus. Through our suffering and through our hardship, the Spirit is at work to make us more and more like Jesus. The Spirit is also part of our inheritance. And so Paul reminds us in Romans 8, yes, when you're suffering and you're facing difficulty and death and disease, receive hope in the future inheritance that you have. But don't forget about your inheritance. Don't forget about the deposit, the spirit, guaranteeing what is to come. And be encouraged by that truth as well. This is the difference between a slave and a son or a daughter. Sons and daughters receive inheritance. Sons and daughters receive all that that I just described. So I want you to see God as this good father in this good family who gives us good things. We sang about that earlier. And that maybe as we see God in this way, we'll actually over time learn to see his constraints as good as well. That's for another day. His law, his commands also as good. This leads us to the next idea. Jesus sets us free. That first point was the long one. All right, don't freak out. Are you kidding me? We just got to the second point of the sermon. Yeah, the next tour quick. Jesus sets us free for the truth. Remember what Jesus says in this text? If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Knowing the truth is important. I think it was one of the lessons we learned during the pandemic, right? That not really knowing what is true, not really knowing what to trust or who to trust, it is jarring. And it's even more true when you get out of a pandemic and you start talking about the spiritual, it is jarring to not know the truth. And one of the things that we learn learn as a slave master, Satan uh, and sin are, are liars, They will lie to you on the regular. So sin will tell you, it's a lie, but sin will tell you, oh, the flirting is harmless. The addiction, that's just a break that you need, right? It's life-giving. It's a lie. That that lie will lead you to life. Sin, with, with the help of Satan, lies all the time, and it's easy to be deceived. So what do we do? Jesus says, here's what you do. Hold to my teachings, and then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. And so I think it stands to reason, right? If I can go from preaching to meddling just for a minute, I think it goes to say, if we're going to hold to his teachings, we kind of need to know what those teachings are. If we're going to hold to them. And so reading your Bible is really important. It's not just a thing preachers say. It's actually really important. Being in church is really important. Being in small groups with other Christians, it's really 
important. But it goes beyond just knowing what the teachings are. The script Jesus says in this text, we have to remain under those teachings and hold fast to them. I think it can sometimes feel like our nation is losing its way when it comes to morality. But can I tell you something? Sin is doing what it has always done for a couple, for thousands of years, hundreds of years. Sin lies. Sin has always lied, all the way back to the garden, about what is good and righteous and holy. Sin is a liar. So sin is doing, in our culture and in our day, what sin has always done. So what's so different then about the culture we're living in? What's changing is that we aren't holding to the teachings of Jesus. We aren't remaining under them. So culture and sin, politics, they say this is true. And because we're not holding fast to his teachings, we are confused about what is true and what is right and what is holy. Sin is doing exactly what it's always done. We need more believers to do what we have historically always done. Right? Can I press into you just a little bit? That's what our culture needs. Sin's playbook is well known, going all the way back to the Garden of Eden. What has changed is fewer believers that are saying, I will hold to his teachings. I will learn them, I will memorize them, I will hold to them, and then I will remain under them and observe them and obey them. Sin is no different than it's always been. Every culture throughout human history has seen some of the same things that we've done, that that we've seen, because sin is a liar and has always lied. What we need to do as believers is the thing that believers have done for hundreds of years. Fall in love with his teachings again. Hold to them tightly. Remain under them. Embrace them. And then we'll know what is true. And then we'll know what is true. And the truth will set us free. And the more you hold to his teachings, the more you hold to the teachings, it is then that you're watching a television show or you're hearing a news report, and you're like, oh, no, 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 that's a lie. That's not what God says is best. That's not what God says is holy. That's not what God says is good. That's a lie. And you recognize it because you have fallen in love with his teachings again, and you're remaining under them, and you're holding on to them. And we have such an advantage with this because God's word is more available to us than it has been for any culture in human history. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, the Bible app that most phones have, some of you probably know this, that was actually kind of invented and executed by a Decatur, Illinois native, Bobby Grunwald. Right? He went to a church in Oklahoma, and he developed that, that app, and that app has been downloaded millions and millions, if not billions of times, honestly. And we all have God's word right on our phones. And so it's so easy for us to be immersed in it and to know it and love it and to remain under it. And then we'll see what the lies are. Last one, Jesus makes us free for works. Real shortly. um, Our works are an expression of the family that we're in. If we were to go around this work, everybody would handle chores differently, allowance differently. Everybody would kind of handle the the list of what you're supposed to do. I I, I was... uh, 
kind of laughing at a stand-up comedian um, was talking about her family, and she said, my teenage daughter has become very, very difficult. She's angry all the time. She's yelling at her dad and I, and she's just become kind of unbearable. But I don't, I, I want you to feel kind of bad for her, though, because her chore is she has to unload the dishwasher every night, and I just feel so awful for the tyranny of her parents that make her do this, right? Um, and kind of a tongue-in-cheek sort of thing. But every family kind of handles that different. Um, it's family-dependent, but in a good family, obviously, you're not responsibility-free. And I say that because I think sometimes we think freedom from is like freedom from purpose and effort, and I'll retire, and I'll go into the easy life, and I'll just kick back and do nothing. And that's just not God's plan for you. It's not God's plan for you in eternity, by the way. We're going to have responsibility in heaven. I really believe that, that we're going to be created for a purpose. It's going to be different because there's no, no sin, death, or disease there. So it's going to look different, but God has a purpose for you. You are designed for purpose. So part of the freedom that he gives us is to freedom for purpose, to learn what he really wants for us and from us and with our gifts and our abilities and the situation he's placed us into so that we can truly find life in him. It's not freedom from. Jesus came to give us freedom for. Freedom uh, for family. Freedom for purpose. Freedom for life. Freedom for works. Freedom for the truth. He came so that we could enter into the life he has got, that he has in store for us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your freedom. And uh, I do pray that uh, today has been encouraging as we've thought about the idea that the, the kind of biggest point is that you free us from slavery to sin so that we can become your sons and daughters and just everything that means. It is so life-changing and encouraging and helpful what Romans 8 says on that. And I just pray right now um, that we would embrace that calling because we can reject your invitation we can do that. But I pray right now as we get ready to enter into a time of communion that we would embrace your calling to know you, to have our sins forgiven, to become your sons and daughters, co-heirs with Christ, and that we would receive everything that you have in store for us, a life that is not constraint-free, but a life of grace and purpose and truth and works, all that you have in store for us. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive a communion together, and it's uh, an opportunity for us to remember the invitation we have to family, to the family of God. And uh, they're going to pass out uh, cups that are two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus' body, the other has some juice representing his blood. And this is part of the invitation to become sons and daughters of God and part of his family. That's where freedom truly is found. So they'll pass those out, and then I'll come back up, and we'll receive it all together uh, as a church family in just a few moments. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Jesus, we thank you for your life, your death, burial, and resurrection, and that all of it was just one giant invitation for us to enter into your family so that we could call God our Father, he could call us his sons and daughters, and that we could live in all that it means to be part of the family of God. We're grateful, and we can see today that it is where true freedom finds itself. It's where true freedom lives. 
We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, you can stand up, and uh, as you're doing that, um, uh, if you have a a prayer request or any questions um, that you want to talk to someone about, a couple of our elders are going to be in the overflow right over here uh, after services, and they'd love to talk with you and pray with you and um, answer any questions that you have about uh, membership or giving your life to Christ. They they would love to do that and talk with you. Uh, And uh, we hope to see you tonight at 6 o'clock for food uh, out in the lawn uh, right there by the pool. Uh, and then you'll, you'll see the tents and everything set up when you come in. It'll be right on your right as you come up the drive. Um, and uh, then swimming, uh, we'll, the doors will open at 7 o'clock for swim, and we would love to have you out there. Um, God bless you guys. Uh, have a great week ahead.